Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. All right, very good. You can take your Bibles this evening. Look with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Of course, this church at Corinth is continuing uh, to receive instruction from the Apostle Paul as this church was uh, this church was really in a little bit of turmoil. Uh, they had been uh, asking many, many questions as far as what they were to be doing, how they were to be doing it. And uh, as we come to... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to do my best uh, because for several weeks we've also been in Hebrews chapter 11, and just then I almost said Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, So if I mess that up, just overlook it, okay? Uh, Because sometimes I do get confused, and again, you get in habits of saying things, and that may be one of those. So I might slip up and say Hebrews, but if I do, just somebody holler out and say, Corinthians, okay? You have that permission tonight, but only tonight. Okay, uh, I'm partly kidding uh, in that. But First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, the, uh, the household of Chloe had sent Paul a letter concerning several things within this church uh, that was happening, that was going on. And there, there were several questions that were asked. And we uh, just finished up last week in chapter 10, uh, because Paul spent three chapters uh, dealing with uh, the question about Christian liberty. Uh, what about liberty? What about uh, what is taking place? And how do we do these things? And so he answered that question. When we come into uh, chapter number 11, uh, it, Paul is going to be dealing with the answer to the questions about conduct. Uh, questions about conduct. How are they to behave themselves? How are they to uh, be uh, acting within the church among their brethren? And he begins in verse number one in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll pick up reading uh, right there in the very first verse where he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you. Brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have ye know that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her be shorn. But if it be a shame, or be a shame, for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is in the image and glory of God, 
But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her, power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Look at verse number 13, if you would. For he says, Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but or the worse. We're going to stop there just for uh, sake of time. Uh, we're going to speak about Paul's answer about conduct within the church. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for your goodness. I thank you for the opportunity once again to be in your house for such a time as this. Father, I pray that as we continue to go through this book and through this chapter in chapter 11, uh, God, that we would even consider our own conduct. We would consider uh, what it is that we have before us here tonight uh, concerning your Scripture. I pray that it would be profitable. I pray that it would be understood uh, as it comes from your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have two areas uh, really within this one chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The, the first portion uh, that we just read through, you're probably not as familiar with as the second portion. The first portion has to do concerning the conduct uh, of appearance within the church, uh, or the appearance, the differences of appearances between men and women. When we come to the second section, again, which you're probably most familiar with, uh, would be the conduct concerning the Lord's table. And we're going to be in both of these sections here uh, this evening, but really just two, uh, two portions of Scripture tonight, one concerning the appearances and second concerning the Lord's table. But let's look first at this first section here in these first 16 verses concerning the appearance or the differences in appearance between men and women. Now Paul starts off by saying uh, within this, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so he is saying to them to follow the example as he has followed the example of Christ. And he's going to explain a little bit more about this in detail a little bit later. So I'm going to hold this uh, thought within this. Uh, but he says in verse number 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. And so in this he's saying, Follow me, uh, but I praise you because you have uh, listened to me and you have remembered me throughout this time, even whether it be through giving or whether it be through other areas. But he says, you've remembered me in all things, 
and you keep the ordinances. And so what he's saying is here, basically, you're trying. And, and sometimes it's always nice to know uh, and to get recognition that you're trying. And, and that's really what Paul is doing here is he's recognizing their try. Uh, but how many of you noticed, uh, or you've noticed at least in your own life, that just because you try something doesn't mean you always get it right? We try. Uh, we try if you've ever played sports. Uh, there's uh, very few uh, perfect games ever played. Um, and that's why, especially, uh, you know, in, in football, they'll have a, a quarterback passer rating that they, they have that is what is considered to be nearly perfect uh, on completions and that type of thing. Uh, but a nearly uh, perfect game, the only sport that, uh, two sports that, I, and I'm, there's probably others, uh, but the two sports that I would be most familiar with uh, and that are made a really big deal uh, when somebody does this would be baseball. Uh, and a pitcher throws a perfect game where no one uh, reaches base. Uh, that is rare. It hasn't been accomplished very often. It's like the pinnacle of that. And then the other uh, would be in bowling, uh, bowling a 300 game. Uh, but in doing that consistently, again, it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen uh, really all that often. There's usually something missed. And, and so there's a lot of trying going on. Now, occasionally we get it right. Occasionally we get it wrong. Uh, and, and Paul is saying here, he's saying, I praise you because you remember me in all things. Uh, but in verse number three, he kind of changes gears just a little bit as he says, uh, but I would have you know. Uh, he says, I want you to know something uh, about what is taking place within the church. And he reminds them, and he says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. We, we, I don't know if you understand how important this particular passage is, okay? Because I want to make very, very clear here, as Paul is making clear, as he says, the head of every man is Christ. It's not the church. We place a very high importance, and we should place a very high importance on the church and within the church, but the head of every man is not the church, it's Christ. And then he goes on to say the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. He says in verse number four, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, in, in understanding what is taking place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, has to uh, deal with, if you took note in the reading, it has to do with the head. Doesn't really talk about the hands, doesn't talk about the feet. He's talking about the head. One of the things we must remember within this particular time that Paul is addressing this church, there is a little bit of culturalness that is also being addressed. Different cultures would do things differently uh, within this, but he's addressing this church at Corinth. And there were customs and there were differences of what was taking place. And there were uh, forms of what would be even be considered something that would be decent versus indecent. Something that would be considered appropriate versus inappropriate. And what has happened here is the church of Corinth was pretty much kind of doing 
really what they wanted to do. Uh, very similar as we looked at even this morning uh, within the book of Judges and Israel, as Israel did that which was right in their own eyes, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. What was taking place here at this church in Corinth was uh, they were kind of going outside of the social norm or what would have been uh, morally acceptable uh, behavior even within the church or even with outside of the church. Now, we know that culture, of course, uh, does not always dictate uh, our behavior within the church. Amen? Uh, the Bible should dictate what our behavior is within the church. And that's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter, to kind of set these things straight. But the first thing I want you to notice concerning this appearance is that he deals with the men. He deals with the men. And in this, he says uh, that there is nothing to be on his head. And this is, of course, in relation to the Savior. He goes through this, and again in verse number 3, he says, The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so the whole idea of the covering of the head or the not covering of the head had to do with, uh, in, and what we're going from a, a physical head to a spiritual head. Okay, So you have to decipher between the two uh, of what is taking place here. But again, uh, the head of every man is Christ. Obviously, that is symbolic. Uh, that is representation uh, within that and not a physical thing. Uh, but then by the time you get to verse number four, he goes into the physical. Because often the physical is a representation of the spiritual. And he says, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now within this, if you'll drop down to verse number 7, he says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So it's not just in relation to his Savior, but it's also in relation to his spouse. Uh, and again, I don't want you to get caught up in as much of the implications of what is taking place here as far as the covering or the uncovering, as much as it is in relation to the Savior, in relation to his spouse. Uh, he talks also about uh, shorter hair on the man. If you drop over uh, to verse number 14, he says, Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. We actually talked about this a little bit uh, in my Sunday school class this morning as we discussed uh, what is long. Can anybody define long hair? It, now, if we're going to compare uh, just for a moment and say, okay, uh, you know, all right, well, uh, my, compared to Brother Marty, my hair is long. I have long hair. Compared to Brother Rick, Brother Marty has long hair. Go figure that one out. Marty's trying to figure out, man, what's he have, no hair? That would be it, you know. Uh, but, but again, we have societal things and cultural things that kind of help determine this. Now, it's one of those things and when you look at where it says, doth not nature itself teach you? Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? What we're dealing with there is, again, uh, long hair is one of those things. While, again, Brother Marty might say, Brother Aaron has long hair. I would say, well, Brother Marty, I don't think I have long hair. That's just compared to you. But long hair on a man, 
what I'm getting at is one of those things, you just kind of know it when you see it. You know what I mean? You just know it when you see it. You say, oh, well, that's, that's long hair. Uh, and same thing for short hair. Uh, but the general implications of the long hair within this particular day and time had some cultural significance. But long hair on a man in the days of the church of Corinth uh, would be, have been considered to be effeminate. It would have been effeminate in nature to have long hair. And so Paul is saying, nature itself teaches you that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And as he goes through this, he uh, goes, we think about even in the uh, Old Testament, the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. And how uh, they were to grow their hair out and not cut it and not uh, bring a razor to their head. And we would have to be reminded uh, of why. Why did they do that? Well, part of the Nazarite vow, remember, was to what? It was to, for them to bear shame and reproach. Therefore, have long hair. Now, again, because of cultural differences, I know this is one of the uh, questions that people often get into and often ask, uh, was uh, how long was Christ's hair? Does anyone know? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I just know that the Scripture says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But see, here's the difference. Here is the, here is the idea even behind that. I don't know if they had barber shops on every corner like we do today. If I, if I have studied correctly, it was uh, very customary uh, for a man in Jesus' day to get an annual haircut. An annual haircut. That was custom. Some would go a little longer, some would get it more frequent, uh, but it was customary for a man to have one haircut a year. Now, I will tell you, if I had one haircut a year, I might go partially insane. Okay? I like to get a haircut. I enjoy a haircut. Uh, I like to keep my hair short. Uh, but we would say, if a man went through and only got one haircut a year, what would we say in our culture? We would say, oh, that guy has long hair probably. Now, of course, we also know that different hair grows different lengths. Uh, but imagine, though, if a man that went four years without a haircut versus a man that went one year without a haircut. Who would have the long hair? Probably. The one that went four years without a haircut. He would have long hair. And, and so you can see sometimes it comes down to a comparison, not necessarily a length in general. A length in general. Uh, and, and so we have that. But I also want you to notice not just the appearance for the men, but the appearance for the women. Of course, with here, in, uh, we see that he talks about the women wearing the long hair. And it was to demonstrate the following. First, it was to demonstrate submission to her husband. Uh, submission to her husband. The second would be uh, to understand the standards of the world. The standards of the world, of course, within this particular day and time uh, where he talks about uh, in verse number 5 that a, uh, that a woman that would go in with uncovered uh, dishonoreth her head for that is even at, or sorry, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. So what he says here, for a woman to go in and have her head uncovered 
would be no different and be uh, no different than if her head were shaven. Now, that's pretty strong in, in the understanding here, but when you look at the submission and the standards, uh, and you look at the standards of this particular day, a woman that would have her hair shaved or have her hair uh, short uh, would have been considered one, or two, one of two things. The first one was a slave. They would often uh, shave all of the slave's hair, uh, both male and female, and the second that shaved their hair would have been a harlot. And the harlot would then put on wigs, they would put on other items uh, to cover up uh, the baldness, uh, but that is why in this particular culture, a woman to have the shorter hair would have been considered typically uh, one of those uh, two things. But the primary uh, difference here is to demonstrate a submission to her husband who had a submission to the Lord. There is a mutual submission here. Notice verse number 9, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. They too, uh, in that comparison there, having a proper submission to the Lord uh, within uh, the angels' power. Uh, on this. But then he says in verse 10, For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. And so we have these comparisons. And so again, a lot of this uh, was dealing with primarily within a cultural basis uh, during this particular time frame of world history and even if we could even compare church history. But I want you to drop down uh, to verse number 17, if you will, because we're going to move on uh, to the idea of concerning the Lord's table. Uh, we have visited this in uh, just several weeks ago, uh, so I'm going to hit this pretty quickly. Uh, so pay very close attention, if you would. Uh, but he says in verse number 17, Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. He says, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So Paul is addressing here, remember, in chapter 1 we see the idea of unity within the church. And here again we see this disunity uh, being brought up where he says, uh, again, I hear that there are divisions among you. Uh, we ought to seek to have a unity among the believers, among the brethren, uh, for the glory and honor of the Lord. And Paul says, I partly believe it. He says, I can see this happening. He says, I can see where there would be some issues here. And in verse number 19, again, he says, For there, is also, there also must be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. But here's what he says in verse number 20 concerning the Lord's table. He says, When you come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now, what he's saying here is not that in verse number 20, that you, are, you shouldn't come together to eat the Lord's supper. What he's saying is, Basically, is church, listen, what you're calling the Lord's Supper isn't. 
He says, when you come together, you're saying, all right, hey, it's, it's Sunday or, or it's the Lord's Day and we're going to have the Lord's Supper tonight and everybody bring something to eat, bring what you want, eat your own, but we're going to have the Lord's Supper. What he's saying is, what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. You're not eating the Lord's Supper when you do this. And so he, he goes in and he's admonishing them a little bit here. He says, for again, everyone that is eating taketh one of his own supper, one is hungry, another is drunk, and he says, what? As if to say, are you crazy? Have you lost your minds? He says, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. Shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So we have again this admonishment here. As he's saying, what you're calling the Lord's Supper isn't the Lord's Supper. He says, if you want my praise in this, you're not going to get it. Now, he praised them earlier as they cared for him and as they followed him. But in this, he says, if you want me to praise you in this, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, I praise you not. But then look what he says in verse number 23. He says, for I have received... Of the Lord, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, I want to stop right there just for a moment. Because we're talking about the Lord's table. Now, remember, Paul said, Follow me as I follow him. One of the reasons Paul said that back in verse number one, as he says, Be ye followers of me, even also as I am of Christ, he says, I've received this from the Lord. He says, I didn't get this from Peter. John didn't come over to my house and sit down and tell me about the Lord's table. He says, I have gotten this directly from the Lord. And the first thing I want you to see concerning the Lord's table is the person of the table. The person of honor at the table. The Lord Himself sanctioned this symbolic act, and that is the most important fact of the Lord's table. It's the person who it involves. It's the person who it represents. Again, Paul is receiving his information from Christ Himself, and he thinks it's important enough because it is important enough for that to be recorded in Scripture as he says, I have received of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you. He said, the Lord told me, and I'm telling you. And he says, you got to get this. He said, that night when Jesus was betrayed, verse 24, he says, when he had given things, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, that he had supped, or with that, sorry, when he had supped, saying, This is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Again, the, the idea here within this, as he wants to make clear, this is about the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of honor at the table. But now in this, as he describes the person, he also deals with the perversion of the table. 
Not that the table itself is perverted, but what the people in this church at Corinth were doing to pervert the table that was supposed to be in honor of the Lord. In this, they ignored the Savior. They ignored Him completely within this, and that's what we dealt with in these first few verses. And they were divided over this. Imagine that, being divided over something that honors the Lord. They ignored the Savior. They ignored others in the church. They limited the elements. We understand, and as they limited these, Paul, again, is bringing attention to the elements as they ignored the Savior and ignored others, and in essence, were even ignoring the elements. So much so that Paul has to break it down in this way, as he said, he took the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And so we see the the bread memorializes the broken body of Jesus Christ. We see the the juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. And they perverted this. They perverted it. But when we see the, the purpose of the table in verse number 26, I want you to see as he says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. What's the purpose of the table? First, it's to look back at what he's done for us. It's a threefold purpose here. To look back at what Jesus Christ did for us as he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. His body broken for you, his blood shed for you. We look back at what he has done. But then also, the purpose of the table, as we see in verse number 27, it says, Wherefore, Uh, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The purpose is to look back at what Christ has done for us, but it's also for us to take a look inward at ourselves. Take a look inward at ourselves. What have I done with the Lord Jesus Christ? Then if you continue within this, it says, uh, For he that eateth and, or drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when we come together to eat, Tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So we see the purpose to look back, to look inward, but it's also to look forward. Till the Lord comes, in verse 26, the Bible says, we show the Lord's death till He comes. Till He comes. So who, we have, again, the person, the perversion, the purpose. What about the partakers? What about the partakers? Well, this would be given to believers. The ordinances given uh, to the church to administer, to oversee, to give, for believers to partake in. That is who is taking uh, this bread. It's believers, it's members within the local church. 
What about the prerequisites? Obviously, one would need to be saved. That's where the Scripture says, again, let a man examine himself. That if a man, again, in verse number 27, if he would eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily, unworthily, the word unworthily uh, simply means to take without due regard to the sacredness of the table. The table is a very sacred thing, is it not? And so to come in haphazardly or, or uncarefully to come in and just say, oh, we're going to do this, blah, 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 whatever, would be to take it unworthily. This is one of the reasons why as the Scripture says, talks about the unworthily in this. That is one of the reasons, as a pastor, I caution parents uh, in, in whether or not their children should take of the Lord's table. I don't, I, I don't have a, uh, an age limit of what age someone should take it or when they shouldn't. I totally leave that up to the parents, but if they don't understand uh, and give the due regard of what is taking place in the sacredness of the hour and the sacredness of the table, I would refrain as a parent personally from saying, yeah, sure, go ahead. Because this is not a light thing. This is not a, a trivial matter. We're, we're showing again the Lord's death till He comes. The difficulty in that, of course, comes down in, in the fact that uh, children don't always understand, do they? They see a little bitty cup and it looks cute and a little piece of bread. And Again, we're not here just to uh, make something cute and likable. No, we're showing the Lord's death. There are penalties here that the Bible talks about. Drinking and taking unworthily without due regard to the sacredness of the table. We can teach it and it should be taught within our homes or refrain. It's pretty simple. Then verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. That's why I say for, for you, you examine yourself. It's not a, uh, we come down and let's say, uh, and I know we haven't done this in a while, we're going to start this again in January, but we haven't really passed the plate. I mean, can you imagine if we went down the aisle and passed the plate and, and I stopped and said, okay, Abigail, you're, you're no, 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 you can't. Brother Bob, you can. Jennifer, no. Brother Burl, Brother Burl, oh, okay, go ahead. Miss Emily, no, just don't. John, no. I mean, could you imagine that? I, I cannot. I'm about to fall too. I can't imagine that. I'm so glad and grateful that God put in here for a man to examine himself. You know what that means? When, the, when it comes by, Abigail has examined herself, and she's either going to say yes or I'll pass. Jennifer's going to say yes or I'll pass. Brother Burl's going to say yes, I'll pass. It is not up to you. It is not up to me. It is for each and every individual man, every each and individual woman, and parents to help their children to decipher within that. You say, well, it doesn't say anything about children. I understand that. But as parents, we have a responsibility to give nurture and admonition of the Lord in helping them understand what it is to examine themselves. Amen? 
Because it's not up to me to say, well, you need to be 13 years old to take the Lord's table. Now, I would hope that every 13-year-old can understand the seriousness of the table and understand what's happening there. But I think there's probably some 9-year-olds that understand the seriousness of the table. You might have one of those 9-year-olds. That's why I wouldn't institute an age limit uh, with on that, but let a man examine himself and his parents. It is your responsibility to help them learn how to examine themselves. Now in this, he says in verse 29, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. Again, not understanding the sacredness of the hour. As he closes this out, he talks about the judgment and he talks about coming together and eating and tearing one for another. And then he says in verse number 34, he summarizes it here and he says, if any man hunger, let him eat at home. He says, when you're coming together, he says, it's not about coming together for the Lord's table to have a giant big meal. He said, do that at home if you must. He said that you come together under condemnation. Then he says, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He says, there's some other matters we need to go through. There's some other matters that we need to discuss, but we'll discuss those when I come. So how do we behave in church? How do we behave within this? There are, again, some cultural things concerning appearance that we would pay attention to within this, but then there are some things concerning the Lord's table. that We give it the proper due respect and honor for what it represents in our lives because it shows the Lord's death. And it ought to be a priority within and how it is partaken. And how it's partaken. Again, it's not something that we just flippantly do. We ought to give it a due regard for the sacredness of the hour. Let every head bowed, every eye closed this evening.